Theology Thursday live. We are. We're talking about the mark of the beast. Um, maybe I'll make a reappearance in a bit. Uh, the reason I brought up the mark of the beast today is that um, there's been a lot of talk these days in the news um, about the mark of the beast. Uh, lots of eschatological things and since this is theology thursday the word eschatology comes from the greek word eschaton which means the last thing so eschatology is the study of the last things the last days um it's taken a lot of um thought from some people uh, a lot of people think about this all the time um i've had different you know there's all these theories about the end of the world and uh, when will it be who is the antichrist who is the beast all these things and we're going to look at the the mark of the beast particularly today the whole 666 thing hey andrew good to see you man um and my black belt instructors the um who was it gates he uh bill gates has something he's done where you can get uh he wants to he's advocating for some kind of uh, vaccine once it's developed and then you get like a chip or something in your hand or implanted in your forehead somewhere so that you can have this mark without which you can't you know buy sell or trade or something like that um so you know christians are all immediately like no way man you're not putting the mark of the beast on me which I don't mean to mock them because, you know, one, I don't care whether you're a Christian or not, don't, <laughs> we don't need these marks on us or chips or whatever to be tracking people and have the government controlling and things like this. So a uh, little bit um, freedom, uh, you, you young snappers need to be a little bit more aware of what freedom is um, or used to be. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 13 and see what is the mark of the beast. It's number 666 that keeps coming up. I've had, uh, I remember a few years ago, somebody, a man came up to me. Our church was out at a, a festival um, in a nearby town. We were doing some evangelism, just talking about the church and things. And this guy came up to me and he was talking to me about um, all kinds of weird conspiracies spiritual stuff but it all had to do with the church and he was convinced that the end of the world was coming in October and this must have been a few months before October um, of that same year and it's like and eh, if it doesn't you're a false prophet you know you can't be he's oh no in the world so obviously in the world didn't happen that October but he did mean that October so you know dude you're wrong um, I hope he's repentant and trying to uh, refigure his eschatology and read his Bible in a different way now uh, my favorite book title is 84 reasons the world will end in 1984 if anybody has a copy of that i would love to see it did you see the girl how did anybody see the girl there was nobody watching it was the beast the beast showed up but the other thing was the there was the beast wait a minute hold on because you just don't know what the beast may look like and that's the thing he may come as an angel of light we don't know so props you know, all this money and time for props so what were we talking about the beast the book 1984 <laughs> 85 well, it must have been 85 reasons the rapture will occur the end of the world the end of the world will occur in 1985 anyway you can google it i don't think they still print it but I'm sure he came up with some reason why he was he just miscalculated so we are going to look at it because, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's in the Bible, and therefore it's important. And where is it in the Bible? Well, it is in the book of Revelation. So we immediately are told in our brains, okay, um, to think about 
certain things about the book of Revelation. And this is where hermeneutics kick in, and that comes from, so a lot of things come from the Greek word, but this is the uh, the Greek god Hermes, who is the messenger of the gods, and um, um, hermeneutics is like the messenger. How do you read? How do you interpret um, anything, any writing. So hermeneutics of scriptures, what is our hermeneutic? And my hermeneutic for scripture is to know what the genre of the literature is, okay? So the biblical writings, we believe, are inspired by God. So so they have that in common. There's a central message throughout the scripture that it all brings glory to God, talks about the condition of man and um, how we might glorify him and, and where we are without him and why we need him. Common message all the way through, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God-breathed, and all these things. Now, there's also literary genres within the scriptures okay there's poetry there's history there's genealogical information there's um, apocalyptic literature and this is an example of apocalyptic literature so whenever you're reading an apocalyptic literature exists outside of scripture as well i keep trying to where's the cameras are on this side um so the, one of the things that characterizes apocalyptic literature are um signs and numbers that represent other things and they can be you know wild wild looking things but there's always some key to interpretation so we believe the key to interpreting the 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 problem that i believe and it's not just me many theologians believe that people have when they mistakenly interpret the words of revelation is that they prefer to use a newspaper or today, the, the internet, um, modern, what would you call it, um, contemporary news to interpret what's going on in the book of Revelation, rather than the key to interpretation, which, I mean, if you think about it, nobody could have really understood the book of Revelation if it was only meant to be understood by people who actually live at the last time, which we think is today, and we look around and we say, okay, we have to, this, you know, I mean, there's something in there about the 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 the, the wasps and their tails are sting stingers, and I remember at one point that was the Beatles, the band, the Beatles, because they had guitars and electric, and they had the wires coming out and stuff. So, you know, you get some weird things, and it's like, is that really what? I drop my glasses. Is that really what um, John was saying? Is like it's the Beatles, or that six 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 is Henry Kissinger, and he's saying that to the people that he's originally writing to. So a key to interpretation would be Old Testament. So how does the Old Testament, where, what imagery do we get from the Old Testament to bring us to the New Testament, and then how do we use that to interpret it? But then you could also say what was going on contem contemporaneously, what was going on at the time of the writing. So the original writers, if there's anything contemporary, if there's any symbolism that was supposed to be seen as, you know, look around and see what these things are, then it would be stuff from that time. Now, this does not mean that it doesn't have relevance for today, because it has a great deal of relevance for today. But to interpret symbolism um, properly, you have to make sure you're using Old Testament scriptures, um, because that's their key here, and then also um, what's going on the, contemporaneously to the author of the book. It's called a histor grammatical historical approach to scripture. All right, all that being said, um, let's look at it. Revelation, 
and don't make the rookie mistake of adding S to the end of Revelation. It's just one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's the, apocaly the apocalypto. Apocalypse meaning the unveiling, actually. It doesn't mean, we, we'll use it to say if something's apocalyptic, we mean it's um, it's end times in nature. It's like terrible and apocalyptic event. It's something that's going to destroy everything. Um, and you can see where that word comes into our language in that way. But... Um, it really means to um, unveil. So this is the revelation. See how that works? Revealing, the unveiling, pulling the curtain back of things. You can actually see things better. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we go. I said we're going to read it. Here we are. Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems. That's um, fancy crowns on its horns. And blasphemous... <laughs> Blasphemous, <laughs> did it twice. Blasphemous names on its heads, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Daniel chapter seven. Daniel seven verses two through seven. All right, beginning of verse two. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea. Now, so you're coming up out of the sea, too, different from one another. One was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings, and I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this, looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, and a little one um, before, and it goes on. So, if you go back and you look, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to explain and even interpret who is the beast. Okay, so we're going to look at it a minute, but the particularly what we want to look at is the 666 and the mark of the beast. And then, you know, are we living in the end times? And, and, and yes, I mean, my theology and what I read in scripture, this is the end times. Um, since the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the end times. This is the last epoch of of um, God's dealing with man. So until he comes again, we are living in the last times. So, and what I want to do is, I want us to look at, um, so we're going to start, let me get through verse 10. So anyway, just to show you that he's pointing back to the Old Testament. These these animals aren't just brought out at random. Um, verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Now these numbers are symbolic. It's in a, a book of symbiology, and 42 means there's a limited amount of time that he's given. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, that's the church, the believers, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear to hear, 
let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to take captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, then with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, the holy ones, the hagias. In the Bible, um, believers are referred to as saints, as the holy, the ones who have been set apart by God. All right, and then the second beast in verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, poor and rich, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. So the mark of the beast is the number of the beast. Um, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. All right, so first of all, a few things. Um, as you're reading this, the number 666 are not the digits 6 and 6 and 6, so that um, the likelihood of whatever, and we'll look at what the mark is in a little bit, but if when we look at the, you know, the digits 666, um, unlikely that that's, I mean, if anybody tries to put 666 on your head, like just, <laughs> just, Say no, or your hand. I mean, regardless of what your hermeneutic may be, or what you how you interpret six 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 or the mark of the beast, it's like I don't think it's a good idea. So just don't do it. And uh, and and if anybody ever comes up and says they're going to make you do it in order to get you to buy, sell, or trade because they want they're trying to round up Christians because they know Christians won't do it, then again, I mean, regardless of how you interpret these things in Scripture, uh, I would say at best it is extremely unwise to allow that sort of thing. To happen, but again, the number six 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 is actually calculate add up the numbers, so it adds up to six hundred and sixty six. So the number of the beast is six hundred and sixty six, not as we always say six six six. There is an interpretation, and these are some things that um, God has not made perfectly clear in detail. But these things are clear as to what they symbolize, and so it's these these um, broad symbolizations are the things that we're able to 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 grasp. But we're going promise we're going to get to it a little more deeply in just a second. Um, so it's not just the digit six six six; it's actually being able to add it up. Now, my personal opinion as to what the six 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 is, I, I I have what's called a a preterist view of this, but I also believe it means that a lot of this is pointing to the time that Jesus was coming back in judgment on Israel, and that occurred in A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple, but that it also has ongoing implications for the future, that the way Satan works against the church is um, it's cyclical. It's an ongoing thing, and you get a glimpse in the book of Revelation of what the um, spiritual warfare against the saints by 
demonic forces, how that works. In conjunction, and this is what we're going to see particularly with the dragon, the beast, and the and the, the lamb that was slain, these different things. It's the unholy trinity. It is a counterfeit trinity so that what um, Satan does through um, false religion, um, through false worship, through false government, um, through these things, through um, personal um, people who may, such as a Hitler, um, people like that who can set themselves up as uh, the the embodiment of power. And when you begin to see the embodiment of power, that that it, it always true power, um, whenever you're looking at a government power or even religious power, what begins to happen is that there's a control that, that is demanded. And this is what um, the demonic is. And it's also what the flesh is. The flesh demands to be in authority. Um, demonic forces demand to be in authority. Uh, and God is the one who's in authority. And so we see that there's this seeking after the things that truly belong to God. And that's what man did in the fall. So, um, the book that I recommend, if people ever ask me, you know, outside the Bible, um, what book would you recommend for studying the book of Revelation? Um, is this, but beyond the shadow of a doubt, it is this book that they printed properly but you hold it up to a mirror or something and you can see it zoom does a good job of reversing these things it's called the returning king a guide to the book of revelation by Vern s poitras okay um excellent book it's not even that thick so i mean i have a lot of books on revelation that are that are very good commentaries and books just on the millennium and books just on the mark of the beast i mean there's you know the the thing is is like there is more the outside world, the secular Christianity, um, or even Christians who dabble in theology as a hobby, um, they know certain things. And the world knows certain things. There's, there's three main things, I think, that the world kind of knows about scriptures. Uh, uh, John 3.16, all right, that's one. They might not can quote it, but they know that John 3.16, they could, they've heard it before, you know. And so God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, and then they know, judge not. Okay, that's another one. And then another one is 666, you know, the mark of the beast. So th this is something that the world clues in on. And um, and it's good to preach through the book of Revelation. I have friends who are preparing to preach through it. I've been wanting to preach through the book of Revelation. Um, but the, each time I get prepared to preach it, and I'd like to be able to say God stops me, but, I mean, in his providence, that's exactly what's happened, but last time I was going to preach, we just got out, I ended numbers, and we were left by the side of the Jordan, it's like, oh, we got to go into the promised land, so then we went into Joshua, and I was just going to do a few chapters of Joshua, and then it's like, you, you have to, it's like something on Netflix, you have to finish it, so we're going all the way through, we got to the end of Joshua, and now I'm like, now we're going to do um, the book of Revelation. But then as I read through the book, and I'm continuing to read through the book of Revelation, um, um, to me, right now, I'm having the sense that what we, it's, it's, for in my context, what God's doing with me and different things uh, is not so much um, to be preaching about spiritual warfare and the end times and things from that perspective. And as a matter of fact, if you want to know about end times, you read First um, uh, Thessalonians and, 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 and the Gospel of Matthew, you have a lot more things in it about the actual end of days than Revelation actually does. But anyway, um, 
there's a fascination with the book of Revelation. So I've decided that I'm going to be preaching through the book of Hebrews, which um, talks about Jesus Christ and the superiority of Jesus Christ and just who he is in his priestly office and who he is as God. And I think that's something that uh, we need to know more about, particularly in my context and my church. I know some other people are going to be preaching through Revelation just for no other reason than this is what they want to preach through now. But it's also, if you want to draw a crowd, if you want to get people to come to a conference, if you want to do that sort of thing, then you start, you do an end times conference or you do something on the book of Revelation. And there's this fascination with it that um, really goes beyond the normal, typical, I don't want to put it like that. It's different than a typical desire to, to know the word of God. That there's this um, desire to look into really the secret things of God, um, and then you have another group that don't want to doesn't want to study at all because it's so hard to understand. As if the rest of Scripture is simple to understand. Um, I think one of the problems we can have interpretation of the Book of Revelation is we try to exhaust all its meaning. Um, and I don't think it's intended to be exhausted in its meaning. That you're supposed to at least take it on a superficial level and get what's on the top. And a lot of times we don't get the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit of this that talks about the mark. Because I started to just use it as a reference thing, and then I started just like I started writing more than not. So um, it's well written. I'm not just going to read it, but I do want to read it and see if you can follow along here. So this is talking about this section we just read, Revelation 1, um, 1 through 10. A beast rising out of the sea represents persecuting power, especially the power of a demonized state. Now, if you think about that, yes, Jesse Watkins, I would certainly... We, we as back, remember when you used to be able to get together with people, but we do have Zoom and things. Um, morbid curiosity, sure, I think it's lots of things like that, Kyle. So, uh, a beast rising up out of the sea represents persecuting power, especially the power of a demonized state. Okay, demonized government, and that really you can't really argue with that much. I mean, so we have to start. So, if you're gonna have your eyes open, it's like, okay, look at the government and then think about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, the cosmic powers in the heavenly places. So you know, there's powers behind the powers. And so a demonized state is a government that is pretty well controlled by um, demonic forces. And, and we immediately might think of um, Hitler's, um, you know, the Nazis and things like that. But um, yes, but sometimes it can be a little more subtle. Satan comes as a, disguise himself as an angel of light, too. I um, also have a quote here um, just from yesterday, the day before, from one of our local American governors, Cuomo. And he says, you've probably heard this already. This, he's talking about the numbers have gone down. This is not an act of God. This was uh, that. This is not an act of God we're looking at. It's an act of what society actually does. The numbers are down because we brought the numbers down. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not, did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. And you know, <laughs> woo. I mean. Blasphemous. I mean, you know, God did not do that. I did that. Thank you. You're welcome. Vote for me. Vote for me. Biden's out. I'm in. And, you know, Trump obviously has got to be out. So, you know, look to me, your savior. So be very careful um, 
when you start to hear politicians, I mean, it's bad to, on one thing to use the name of Lord I got in vain and say God bless you and Jesus and things like that if you don't really believe it. But um, to have a governor just come right out blatantly and say things like that, um, you know, it's, it's a, a hard thing. So the sea has represented chaos and disorder in Genesis 1. True. And Jesus walking on the sea. I'm reading from the Facebook thing if you're just listening. Um, this is Jet C. Watkins. It is the opposite of God's order. The beast from the sea is the opposite of God's order system. Yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Everything is an act of God. Yeah. So tell that to Governor Cuomo. So anyway, um, he's done lots of things to demonstrate the fact that he's opposed to godliness. Um, and I, I don't say those kind of things lightly either, by the way. Um, so, demonized states. That's the first sentence. <laughs> its monstrous mixture of features shows its fierceness and repulsiveness. The beast is hideous. One, of, one might be terrorized into submission, but who would genuinely want to worship this mass of ugliness? The rebellious world is fascinated with his power, 13.4. But Christians have their eyes opened through this and other biblical revelations. The beast combines features from the four beasts of Daniel 7 that I read earlier. The beast of Daniel represent um, idolatrous kingdoms. The beast in Revelation must be a worldly kingdom summing up all of them. The state-controlled persecutions of Daniel and his friends. So you got to kind of know what was going on in the book of Daniel to know what they're talking about here. And so the state-controlled persecutions of Daniel and his friends thus suggest the nature of the persecution that the seven churches from the Roman state, and that's in the first part of the book of Revelation, and the persecutions of later ages. Interpreters disagree about which particular persecution the beast most directly represents. But it expresses a general principle of satanic opposition. We may expect multiple manifestations. Now, I think that's that's very true. So what we're seeing is a general principle of satanic opposition, and then you can expect, you know, well, I just read it, multiple manifestations of that. An indication in the, in, in the introduction of this book, um, these manifestations occurred in the first century and will occur in the final crisis and have been occurring at all times in between. In Asia Minor, local officials threatened to kill Christians if they refused to worship the Roman emperor. A similar opposition to godly worship will crop up just before the second coming. And that's from 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Persecutions will sporadically um, will come up sporadically in between these two times. And he puts a few, 2 Timothy 3.12-13, 1 Peter 4.12-19, Matthew 24.9. And then 2 Thessalonians 2.7-8 indicates that we are dealing with a repeated pattern of satanic opposition called the secret power of lawlessness. This lawlessness is currently restrained, but will have a final climactic outbreak, and it's called, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Christians must not be surprised by these pressures. They must face martyrdom, if necessary, knowing that God is in control and that his triumph is certain. Uh, Jesse's asking, is there a term for the cyclical acts of Satan throughout church history? Yes. <laughs> That's all I got for you. There is, there, I can't think of what it is. Um, I think there is. Well, 
No, um, that's a good thing to talk about. The beast represents, in the first place, demonized state power that demands worship. As with Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the demonized state threatens to kill Christians unless they bow down. But the symbolism of the beast applies also to more subtle temptations to idolatry. In democratic countries, the state does not insist on literal worship, but citizens are tempted to look to the state as if it were a messiah. Now, this was written in, uh, I think, 2000? Yeah. Um, so, 20 years ago. So, I think you can... You know, some of my concern about what's happening today has to do with this um, somewhat. You know, looking to the state um, as if it were a Messiah, a Savior. It is the greatest concentration of earthly power, and so it must be the remedy for all ills, economic, social, medical, moral, and even spiritual. Moreover, blatant state persecution threatens to overwhelm us through fear. But in subtle ways, we are tempted to give ultimate commitments to anything that we fear. Fear of man, which is human opinion. Um, fear of death, fear of pain, fear of poverty. So this picture of idolatry has universal application. All right, now, um, the beast is a counterfeit of Christ. Note the following parallels. The beast is an image of Satan who brought him forth, just as Christ is the exact image of God, begotten by the Father. Okay, so the beast is the image of Satan, as Christ is the exact image of God. The beast has ten crowns, while Christ has many crowns. The beast has blasphemous names written on him, while Christ has worthy names. Revelation 19.12 The dragon has given the beast his power, his throne, and great authority, just as Christ has power, a throne, and authority, and different re references here in Revelation, and, and the Father. Is or can America be an Antichrist? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Antichrist is anything that sets itself up, up against Christ. I don't know about America itself, but, um, you know, government, false religion, that's what we're, we're looking at, and then just individual people and stuff. Um, the beast has had... The beast has a healed fatal wound, counterfeiting Christ's resurrection. The beast healing is one of the principal features that attracts followers, just as the resurrection of Christ is one of the principal points of evangelistic proclamation. Worship is directed to the dragon and to the beast, just as Christians worship the Father and the Son. The beast attracts the worship of the whole world, just as Christ is to be worshipped universally. The beast utters blasphemies, while Christ utters the praises of God. The beast makes war against the saints, while Christ makes war against the beast. And it, it, the song of praise to the beast in 13.4 counterfeits the song of God, the warrior, in Exodus 15.11. The striking juxtaposition of Christ and the beast in 19.11-21 shows that they are the two main warriors in the battle. Christ is the, is the divine warrior, fulfilling the imagery of Exodus and Isaiah and Habakkuk and Zechariah. The beast is the unholy counterfeit warrior, fulfilling the imagery of Daniel 7, 1 through 8. So again, you see, if you go and look at these, how the book of Revelation is using um, Old Testament prophecy as its um, symbols to pull out so that you can know what they're talking about. If you understood the Old Testament symbolism, then these things, to the, especially to the original reading audience, would, would click and start to make sense. Um, Satan himself attempts to counterfeit God the Father. He engages in a mock creation in which he brings forth his image out of chaotic waters. So he's bringing out this beast out of the waters. Similarly, the false prophet, or the beast of the earth, counterfeits the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He desires that people worship himself. But the beast, just as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, he works miraculous signs, counterfeiting the miracles of the Holy Spirit. He forces a mark on his subjects, just as Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So together, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet form an unholy trio. They counterfeit the Holy Trinity. Satan, as a deceiver, is always trying to make his ways look attractive. And he quotes 2 Corinthians 11, 14-15 that talks about even Satan comes as, a, as an angel of light. So let's not be surprised when false prophets arise among you um, presenting themselves as, as true believers. For even Satan himself presents himself as an angel of light. Our danger lies in the fact that his counterfeits are always close to the real thing. And we may mistake the one for the other. But when Revelation opens our eyes, there is a world of difference between his horrors and God's beauties. We can be confident because he is only a counterfeiter, an imitator, not a creator. And his productions are always bestial and degenerate like himself. Beast must give way before Christ the King. One final counterfeit figure exists, namely Babylon the prostitute, the counterfeit of the bride of Christ. Um, and, the beast ten, and it goes on about the beast ten, ten horns. And um, it says, behind the beast... A perversion of state power stands the dragon, who energizes and endorses him. Christians are to be alert to satanic influence, not only with individuals, but also with institutions and whole societies. And I think that's what Kyle is talking about there. Kyle writes, uh, in America, we do... Who do we want to protect us? Provide for us, give us health and well-being, ensure our freedom, educate us, feed us and our families. Make sure we are treated fairly. It is a rhetorical question. I recognize that as I was reading it. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, and so it says, but Christians had to be alert to satanic influence, not only with individuals, but also institutions and whole societies. The mass of people in the Roman Empire were attracted to emperor worship. Nero demanded, that it used to be, I mean, before emperor, um, before um, Nero, uh, you would worship an emperor after his death. But Nero demanded worship while he was alive. He put up a statue to himself and, you, and wanted to be worshipped. He had standards, banners, flags that were put up um, in order to, to worship him through these this imagery and then when the uh, abomination of desolation goes into the tabernacle into the temple and um, they put up these standards of worship to the beast and also um, in in the times of Nero he was referred to um, outside of scripture by the people of his day that would write about him they call him the beast he was a terrible character um, and they would call um, Nero the beast. And then also, just to kind of jump ahead a little bit, 666, if you take the Hebrew, it's called Gematrian, Gematria, I think. So we do it with Roman numerals, how a number, a letter represents a number. So like they had letter A, it's the first letter is one, A, B, C. So if you take A, B, and C, and you add those together, you get six. So, but if you take the letters and you add them up, so um, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, the letters in, in Hebrew, and the first, you know, each of them having a numeric value, uh, and if and you can do this with anything, um, so you can, I think, um, what was it? Oh, it's some contemporary guy. And I remember Ronald Wilson Reagan. Each each of his names had six letters in it. And it's like, uh oh. Um, it's, but if you take Chiron. Neron, Neron Kaiser, okay, Caesar Nero in Hebrew letters, which was what his his title was. 
it adds up 666. There's a textural variant um, in some ancient scriptures. So it says 666, what you see in some of these old, it's not a majority text, but in some of the much older texts, you'll see 616. And it's like, well, that's odd. But if you take Caesar Nero and you write it in Greek letters, then it, those Greek letters add up to 616. It's almost as if possibly um, the writers that were writing um, were trying to translate it into a Greek context so that Greek readers could interpret it and calculate that number. So, you know, if you're trying to say calculate the number to be 666 and you're trying to say, you know, somebody today, you know, is that written, you know, what were the original reading audience? They were clueless. There's no way they could come up with Henry Kissinger. I think that was who it was. Like Henry Kissinger somehow adds up to 666. But um, it makes sense that it was Nero. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's simply limited to him, but that he represents satanic power of the state. Um, but it goes on here, and it says, so the mass of people, so and Nero had people worshiping him, and, um, and, and we'll see that. You've got to be very careful when people start to demand too much praise and worship, even ourselves. Um, and he says, likewise, communism, fascism, Hinduism, materialism, and new age spirituality may be mass movements today, but Christians must resent, resist them. Bye, Kyle. You're never going to know. You have to tune back in, or I'll send you the book. Um... Now we're getting there. The beast's mortal wound and his recovery counterfeit Christ's re re resurrection. Revelation may be alluding to a myth that grew up after Nero's death in AD 68. A rumor spread that he had not really died and that he would soon return at the head of the Parthenians to wreak vengeance. But the symbolism has broader application. The revival of a powerful movement or an institution after serious trouble seems to indicate to its followers that it is invincible. The empire seemed to survive all threats, thereby showing that it was eternal and attracting more worship than ever. But all such hopes are mistaken. Only Christ brings eternal life, and only his kingdom will last forever. The beast's counterfeit character comes out clearly in his blasphemies. Um, even these are ultimately under God's control, as is implied in the phrase, was given. So power was given to the beast. God gives power even the breath through which, God gives people even the breath through which they blaspheme him. The sovereignty of God underlines the security of the saints and the ultimate futility of all opposition to God. So God's in control. God will win these things, Jesse writes, based on the argument of 666 equaling Nero. Is it your opinion that the revelation was written prior to AD 70? Yeah. I, yeah, I am of that opinion. Um, but if it was not, and it doesn't necessarily allude to him, it really still all these interpretations are still the same. And that's where I think we get bogged down too much is the saying dogmatically, it's, it's definitely this and definitely that. Um, I think I have reason to believe what I believe. Other people have reasons to believe what they believe. But it's like, okay, it's, it still comes down to when you're studying Scripture, so what? What does that have to do with me now? Uh, you know, History is one thing, and that's all well and good. But what about you know me, such as when Jonah goes and he testifies to the Ninevites? You know, it's like, so what's that have to do with me well, it's a lot of application to be made there. And I think the same thing is, is true here. Um, let me skip forward here to verse 10. It talks about here called patient endurance. Um, Believing in God's faithfulness and his triumph through Christ enables the saints to pass through all distresses. God never promises that we will be free from suffering in this world. On the contrary, he repeatedly announces that it will come. But he promises sustenance. And this is from John 16, 33. 
in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this is the patient endurance. All right, and then 11 through 18, he talks about um, this other beast that comes up, and this is where we talk about the 666. And it says, the beast from the earth, also called the false prophet, functions as a propagandist for the beast. He, his actions counterfeit the witness of the Holy Spirit. And so in other words, he's telling people what to believe about him. He's, he's, he's um, yeah, explaining the work of the beast. In first century Asia Minor, the main propagandists were priests of the emperor cult and the commune of Asia, a council of distinguished city representatives who promoted loyalty to the emperor. In our day as well, totalitarianism enlists propagandists. Totalitarianism means total control, governments, people who are looking for total authoritative control. Just before the second coming, and if you're just joining me, we're reading from The Returning King by Vern, Vern S. Poitras. Just before the second coming, counterfeit miracles will accompany the appearance of the lawless one. And that's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The false prophet embodies a repeatable pattern. Satan uses deceit as his main weapon. He uses human instruments and institutions to magnify and propagate his deceits. What then are the principal means of deceit around us now? So he asked this question. And it's kind of interesting when we hear what he wrote here because this is before really the internet is so big and the, with um, Twitter and, and, and Facebook and all this stuff that we have. Um, in our modern society, and this is written in the year 2000, so 20 years ago. In our modern society, the mass media, so again the question is what principal means of deceit are around us? He says mass media, educational institutions, advertising and the whole knowledge industry offer the principal channels through which people learn and confirm their views of themselves and their world. In principle, technologically enhanced communication and social organizations can support either truth or error, righteousness or wickedness. But in societies affected by the fall, okay, sinful societies as all society is, all too often, distortions of the truth invite people to pursue idols and simultaneously blind them to the realities of their idolatry. So you're pursuing idols and you can't even see it. Uh, for example, the media may become filled with the presuppositions of a materialistic worldview. The resulting message, God need not be mentioned except in expletives, in other words, in his cuss words, um, since he doesn't exist, he's absent or irrelevant. Just as Governor Cuomo said, you know, God did not flatten the curve. We did that. Faith didn't do that. Um, humanity invents its own meanings. We are part of an evolutionary whole. Progress comes by freeing ourselves from a primitive past. Money, health, intelligence, beauty, and sexual pleasure give us the good life. And so Herbert Schlossberg finds himself attacking modern idols called history, humanity, mammon, nature, power, and even religion, which inhabit our knowledge industry and float through its channels of communication. So if I forgot about the phrase knowledge industry, I mean, now we're talking about, you know, the Internet and just fake news. We will call it a lot of times now. But um, he says these ideas pervade the atmosphere. And even so now I mean, with the Internet, it's just like you pick up your phone, anything. It's like ideas. This, I love this part here. He says they are all the more insidious because they are atmospheric. They tend to be assumed rather than argued. Okay, these ideas tend to be assumed rather than argued. One receives the subtle impression that it is all obvious. Everyone who is informed, everyone who is with it, 
has gone past the stage of questioning. In reality, though, there never was a fundamental questioning because the ideas are so natural and inevitable. The average person is no more aware of them than the fish is aware of the water in which it swum since birth. The few who are aware can still take comfort. They may say to themselves, how could we possibly be wrong when the miracles of modern science and technology show the superiority of our ideas over those of the past? Technology then becomes the worker of miraculous signs. The signs tell us that true power resides in the modern view of the world. Worship the power of the beast and the power of the technocratic state organization, the power of the expert, because technology can work wonders like no one else. And I think that's, that's what we have to be careful about as believers, as the church. Who are you looking to for sustenance and care and meaning and purpose? And, you know, I mean, did you get your $1,200? You know, we got our $2,400. So there's two of us. And if you have kids, you got, what, another $500 for each one under $1,600? You know, thank you. Oh, I mean, I'm not saying you know, burn it. Yeah, you can't even burn it. It's digital. It's not even, is it mine's digital anyway? So just be careful not to <laughs> depend on that for your security, um, to depend on the government for our security, to see the government as our savior through this, to see, you know, it's just, uh, it's, that's, you're setting it up for worship and, and you don't, and, and satanic powers look for demonic powers look for what man gives special attention and power to, and they will inhabit that power and take it over and um, and, 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 and love its worship. So, let's see, let me get to the end here. Um, so, those who refused to worship the image were to be killed, in verse 15. Um, Christians in the Roman Empire might be executed for treason or disloyalty to the emperor if they refused to participate in the, emperor, in the imperial cult. Totalitarian governments in our time are seldom so crude, but the local government official, as an image of government power, um, requires total allegiance such as Christians cannot give. Successful modern democratic governments are not literally killing people. Well, well like a democratic government. Well, they, <laughs> abortion, for one thing. Um, Okay, my battery's getting low, so I am going to have to do this well. Um, they do not need to as long as our idolatrous programs are so successful. All right, what is the mark? Verse 16 through 17. What is the mark of the beast? It is a counterfeit for the seal of God's name on the saints. And Deuteronomy 6, 8. So let me, let's do turn real quick. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, because that's where you're going to really see the parallel between that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There it is. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. This is a Shema. Um, Hero Israel. Um, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I shall command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so he's, he's setting up a false 
um, worship with this. So everything you do with your hand, uh, all that you do and all that you think. And so they would take these, and the Hebrew is called phylacteries, and they would take these things, they'd write verses on them, um, they'd um, put a, bind them to your hand, and, and so you remember the verses are there, and you see them in the day, they'll do it in part of worship. They'll have these little boxes on their head, the Orthodox Jews, I think they are, some of them will have this, and they will... Um, um, and have scriptures in them. And so the the demons want to be worshipped. Satan wants to be worshipped in that way. So the mark of the beast ends up becoming um, this control over the way you think and the things that you do. The beast owns those who are marked, and they are his slaves. A mark denotes spiritual allegiance and ownership, both in the case of God's mark and in the case of the beast's counterfeit mark. In both cases, the mark is at root spiritual rather than visual. The multitude of speculations about a visible mark are beside the point. Okay, so uh, I think a lot of people who are saying, I never own take six, six, six on my hand. I mean to mock them again, but it's like the ones I'm mocking are the people that could care less about church. They're not really studying the Bible except maybe the book of Revelation. They don't love the Lord. They aren't really following Christ, but man, they're going to go on and get angry about a government that's going to make you put some kind of mark or chip or something in you because that's the mark of the beast and we can't have it. When in fact the mark of the beast is spiritual and you've already taken the mark of the beast when you trust government or anything else in the place of God. You've already received that mark, and so we, we can't do it. Let me just read that again so I can say it correctly. A mark denotes spiritual allegiance and ownership. So who is your spiritual allegiance to and who owns you? Um, both in the case of God's mark and in the case of the beast's counterfeit mark. In both cases, the mark is at root spiritual rather than vis visible. The multitude of speculations about a visible mark misses the point. And again, um, okay, out of time here. Again, I don't want to say that, you know, if somebody tries to put 666 on your hand or your head, it's like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. But I'm not sure that's what Revelation is actually talking about. If you read in it, if you get it, let the rest of the Bible interpret it too. You know, it's more about who owns you. Where is your heart? Where is your head? What are you doing with your hands? And uh, and if the government requires you, any the state or anything requires your total allegiance and total uh, loyalty um, that you can't give, then it may be a point at some time. This is what demonic forces try to do with government is totally control and wipe out Christians and, and, and be to have it so that Christians can't uh, participate, that Christians can't have a say, that Christians are isolated and pushed aside. And eventually, even in history, they're martyred. And in some countries today, martyred. Um, so you have to be careful about such things. So uh, with the 666 and the mark of the beast, I think the main thing we have to be aware of is who do you worship? And we have to worship Christ. And that means you're in his word, you're in prayer, you're in a church that teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that, that can show you from scriptures where the sermons are coming through, where the theology is coming through, um, and all these things. And so when you, if you're following Christ, and you're in a church that is 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 attempting and can show you how it interprets scripture and let scripture interpret scripture, um, and they preach from the Bible, from the Bible. They don't have ideas they're teaching, and then they go to the Bible to back it up. Um, but a, but a church that opens up the scriptures and whether they're getting, I prefer you know you're going straight through a book of the Bible, but at least they're taking things in context and letting the Bible interpret. You know the Bible makes the point of the sermon. Um, 
than you know be in that church and 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 uh, be a part of it and follow God and so that's that's what we're supposed to do when you so we're looking at the mark of the beast um, the, you want to have the mark of Christ on you you want you want to be marked by the Holy Spirit baptized in the Holy Spirit following the Holy Spirit trusting the future with him um, he ultimately wins that's the message of the book of Revelation God is in control God wins and those um, if, if we aren't careful as the elect we can be deceived too because Satan comes as, as, a, as a, um, an angel of light but if you know the Lord you can spot a counterfeit and you know they teach people in banks they don't teach them what all the counterfeit bills look like it's, this is what a real one looks like then when a fake one comes along you can notice it and so that's the important thing and just and finally there are lots of divisions this is one of those things in in the church that um it has a, it's it's one of the divisive things it's not as divisive as it used to be um, but um eschatology end times things i just think we have to all be careful to dogmatically em emphatically state this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to happen in detail when the bible's obviously not as clear as we want it to be about these things um but to be able to say what is it clear about because they're when we go about and we say somebody's saying this is perfectly clear and somebody else says this is perfectly clear and somebody else is saying this is perfectly clear we're contradicting each other that's no good so at least we need to be able to say this part i'm not real sure about but this is why i believe it's like this but the bigger point is this and that's what we that's what we have to do with all of scripture because the big points are clear the things that are necessary for salvation are clear jesus christ and him crucified that salvation comes from him alone by grace alone through faith alone that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life it's clear it's clear so the mark of the beast is it important it's in scripture it's important it's a big deal but it's not the most important thing in scripture so you have to be very careful of that and be careful what you write about it on facebook or if you see somebody going on about it or something just can you don't agree with them i think it's better at times just to go ah, scrolling through scrolling through um but anyway, get your Bible out and read it. And, um, and, and so then when you, you know, don't just read Revelation, read Revelation and, and don't ignore Revelation, but, you know, compare it to the rest of Scripture and, and let God speak to you in his, in, his, in his wholeness. And Jesse has the final word here. Yes, it speaks to believers in every age. Yeah, why else would it be in the Bible? Absolutely. So, um, read it, love it, live it. Uh, and then um you know we're in interesting times too so just praying for us we pray for you guys um, support your church um, as best you can not just financially but in prayer and in every other way you can figure out how to do it during this time um uh, it is a it is the vital institution so um, let me let's pray father god we thank you for your word we pray that our 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 hands our heads will be marked we'd have um the word of god bound to our hands, bound to our foreheads, that we teach it to our children when we come and when we go, that um, the Word of God is central to our lives. Like It's just it, it, that by your Spirit, you bring us more and more to life so that we live to Christ and we, and we die to self and to sin so that when the beast, the dragon, the false prophet, all these things, they're just nasty, dirty, evil things, beings, forces that... Um, fight against the church but the light of the gospel is the face of jesus christ so help us to be light help us to be salt lord help us to have your word on our lips so that we can defeat um, the powers of satan even through your word by the sword of the spirit and we pray these things in christ's name amen all right god bless you guys